Hey, welcome to Conversations with Ben Dixon, where we discuss important topics through a biblical lens. The hope is to encourage you. Hey, I want to remind you that you can also find our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, on our YouTube channel, but you can always go to conversationswithbendixon.com. It has all the information there. Thank you for liking, subscribing, and also sharing this with friends and family. The goal here is to have meaningful conversations, to invite all kinds of people in so that we can learn and grow together. And so it's been an exciting ride. We're in our third season now, and today I have my special guest, my friend Trevor Loyas with me. Trevor, how you doing? I'm good. I'm excited to be here. I'm glad he's back, right? He made the cut last week, He was, <laughs> or last month, he was with us. And we talked about the Word of Faith movement. We want to follow that up by going into what would be a really important topic, contending for supernatural healing. Because even though some people don't do that the right way, we obviously want to do that. Uh, we obviously want to do that the right way. So it's important for us to venture into this biblical discussion and just look at this from all angles and really answer the hard questions. Because I think that's what we all sort of get to at the end of the day. It's like we have this working assumption where we believe in healing. Uh, Jesus heals, the Holy Spirit through the church heals today. Um, at least that's what I'm assuming that you believe. But how does that work, and why doesn't that happen all the time, and how do we facilitate that uh, culturally in our heart, our homes, and our churches? We want to answer some of those harder questions today, so I hope that this is a blessing to you and a benefit uh, to you. But I just sort of want to start by uh, sharing with you sort of a basic theology, and I think it's important to sort of think through this uh, in a biblical way, because there are a lot of passages that talk about healing, and uh, and I think you need to know what we're up against, because a person could ask the question, why don't we see more healing in the church? Why don't we see more healing through prayer? Why don't we see more of the miraculous and the supernatural of God? And there are a lot of answers to that, and I just want to stop and, and pause for a moment and not make any assumptions. For example, when we say, why don't we see more of something <laughs> happening, the assumption could be that we are praying and that we are believing and that we are asking and that we are practicing Scripture. And I would say that I don't have those assumptions anymore because I think some people are, and I think some churches are, but I think a lot are not. For example, the typical prayer life is one that asks God to get them out of a situation when they find themselves in a jam. Mm -hmm. and, and typically people don't, a lot of folks don't pray. When you look at the statistics, when Christians are asked or these polls that are given, uh, the majority of people actually don't even pray. And so I don't have those assumptions that we're practicing Scripture, that we are praying, that we are contending. And so I just sort of want to start by looking at a theology, and I hope this will help you. But I was reading a book called Power Healing. Trevor, I know you know this book. It's written by a guy named John Wimber. And on page nine, John Wimber talks about what we're up against and how theology is um, influenced by secularism and also a type of theology that we would call cessationism. And so essentially, he gives evidence uh, out of this discussion uh, that we are already at a disposition of, we're already at a disadvantage, mm -hmm. essentially, right? So we're already in a place where we're working against the uh, sort of an overwhelming fact that most people don't believe God heals today. And he had one of his associates go through all of the reference books for a first-year seminarian, which are 27 books. And out of the 27 books that a first-year seminary student would read at a prestigious seminary, which I will leave unnamed, uh, they said approximately 3% 
of all of the reference materials, all of the books, all of the pages that were read actually references healings, miracles, signs, wonders, uh, and the like. And so when you think about this, in contrast to like the book of Acts and the Gospels, one-third of Jesus's healing or Jesus's ministry was healing. One-third of what Jesus did was healing. He imparted that to the disciples, the original apostles. They in turn not only healed the sick, but this ministry continued throughout the church in the first century and beyond, and it seems to kind of get buried after that. And so he makes the point that the overwhelming theological consensus is that people do not believe in the healing power of God for today. And even if they say they do, their belief doesn't uh, create some kind of actionable step where where contending for prayer uh, through prayer is something that we see as a regular and consistent thing. I just want to say that. like we have to get the fact that we're fighting an uphill battle. And if you carry the assumption that everybody sort of believes this and everybody thinks the same way, it's just not true. The overwhelming theological consensus is against this. Mm -hmm. That's why it's easier to criticize anything uh, that happens in the name of Jesus in terms of like supernatural power, miracles, signs, wonders. Yes, there are people out there that we don't agree with, people out there that say and do things that are not biblical, but that doesn't mean that uh, a lot of folks are doing it in a healthy way. In fact, they're not doing it at all. Mm -hmm. And so I want to just go over three principles when it comes to supernatural healing or what is our belief, biblically speaking, about healing. And the first point is sickness is a curse. I just want to go through this real quickly. We know that we were created by God in the image of God because it says in Genesis one thirty one, God saw all that he made uh, and Behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning on the sixth day. And then God commanded Adam and Eve not to eat from a certain tree in the garden. And we read this in Genesis 2, 16. It says, the Lord God commanded the man saying, from any tree of the garden, you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day you eat of it, you will surely die. Now we know that uh, they did They did in Genesis chapter 3, eat from this tree, and the death that he's talking about is physical, spiritual, and eternal. It's like this whole encompassing death. Um, it's not just physical death. It goes far beyond that. And in Genesis 3, when they ate from the tree, it, it enacted what we call the curse. This came upon the whole human race. Theologically, we call this the fall, the fall of humanity, the fall we fell from relationship with God and all of the benefits that we had as a result of being in relationship with God. When he created us, it was good. Then he told us, gave us a command of abstinence, don't eat from this tree. When you do, you will die. And we read in Genesis 3, that's exactly uh, what happened. They ate from the tree, and then they have an interaction with God in verse 17. Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, this is what God says to Adam, and you have eaten from the tree, which I commanded you saying, do not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles, it shall grow for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you will eat the bread till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Now, according to the theological word book of the Old Testament, the word for curse here means to bind with a spell, to hem in with obstacles, and to render powerless to resist. And so what we're talking about is the whole earth was subjected to the curse of death, and sickness is a part of death. There was no sickness until the human race, 
Adam and Eve disobeyed God, and they didn't realize what was attached to all that, but we would read another word in the book of Romans, all futility. Futility is attached to the curse of the fall. So sickness is a curse of original sin, not just personal sin, not just specific sin, but original sin. It's also a curse in the Old Testament uh, when it comes to the sin of disobedience. You read that in Deuteronomy 28, verse 58 through 61. And this is really vital because prior to Deuteronomy 28, God gives three promises of healing to his people, and there's sort of a warning as a way of contrast by saying, hey, if you obey, then you will stay healed and walk in healing. But if you disobey, you will walk in sickness or you, or you will perpetuate the curse because the curse started with disobedience, and obviously it's per- perpetuated through that. So sickness is a curse. But the second point that we have to understand theologically if we're going to step into a place of contending for supernatural healing is that healing is a promise. Sickness was released upon the human race because of our sin, but health and healing is released upon the human race because of God's goodness. So in the Old Testament, God revealed himself as the God who heals. In Exodus 15, 26, he said that he is the one who heals. He's talking to his people. And we know that in the atonement of Christ, we see that sickness is promised because sickness is an effect of sin. Jesus came and he died to not just cover, but also cleanse and do away with all of our sin and all the effects of sin. Not just the sin and then the effects were left because sickness comes from that, but Jesus came to restore all things. So we lost everything in the fall, but we're restored to everything through the work of Jesus Christ. And in the same way that a sacrifice was offered, Jesus gave his life for ours. Look at Mark 8, 31. Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed, and after three days rise again. Jesus said, I must suffer, be killed, rise again. But why did Jesus have to die? Because human beings bear the penalty of sin without any way of redeeming or repaying our debt. We owe a debt that we cannot pay, we cannot afford. And so Jesus came and he took our place. And the death of Jesus was offered for all humanity. We call this substitutionary atonement. We read about this, of course, in the suffering servant passage, Isaiah chapter 53. Good Friday is coming soon. We're going to talk about Isaiah 53. It's by his stripes we are made whole. Jesus carried our sin and its effects, and by his stripes and through his death, we are healed totally, completely. Just like when God said in Genesis 2 that when Adam and Eve eat from the fruit, they will die, so when Jesus dies in our place, we're restored. So the same kind of death, it was that temporary, it was that spiritual, it was that eternal death, but through the death of Jesus, we're restored. You know, we can be restored physically, we're restored relationally to God, cleansed, our sin is cleansed, but we're also restored eternally. So it's a full restoration that Jesus paid for. But the the other part of this is that Jesus proved that this was his intention because when he came to the earth, he stepped into his ministry, and one-third of that was healing the sick. It's just what he did. He went around healing the sick. In Matthew 4.23, Jesus was going all throughout Galilee. He was teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and it says this many, many times, healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. And the word healing here is the same word for cure. Jesus is the cure. He didn't just bring a cure. He is the cure 
for sin and the effects of sin. Now, this is a basic theology, but it's really important for us to capture this. And the third part, which is where we're going to land here, and I'm going to invite Trevor into this conversation more. He's not sitting here just to say amen, although you're a good— I haven't said amen yet. You're a good amen corner. Uh, We all need one. I haven't said a thing. I haven't even said it, but I'm with you. Amen. Uh, All right. Amen. (laughs) Amen. So sickness is uh, part of the curse, and uh, healing is a promise, but healing is also our ministry. Jesus sent his disciples, Matthew chapter 10, he sends them out. He gives them power and authority to heal the sick and to cleanse every kind of disease. He gave them power and he gave them authority through the Holy Spirit. When they preached the kingdom, they also had power to show that the kingdom had authority over even the effects of sin itself. But the point I want to land on here is Matthew 28, 18. We know this really, really well. Matthew uh, records the, the Great Commission. This is our gospel mandate. Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Remember Matthew 10, he gave them power and authority? Mm -hmm. Well, here it says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And look at this, and teach them to obey everything I commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, the mission of Christ is, it's to evangelize, and it's to make disciples of all nations. It's to spread the gospel throughout the earth. It's to, in every way, uh, with all of our life, uh, give ourselves away to perpetuating the mission of Jesus. Uh, that's not just preaching the gospel, but it's also spending our lives in imparting um, that which we understand and know of God's heart through His Word. And part of giving the teaching of Christ— Teach them to obey everything that I commanded, everything, not some. The disciples just would have thought that Jesus told us to heal the sick. Jesus told us to cleanse the leper. Jesus told us to cast out demons. There is no way that the disciples who watched Jesus' life were discipled by him personally, heard his principles, were given power and authority to do the very things that he was doing. There's no way they would have heard this great commission and not thought that Mm-hmm. It did not include casting out demons and healing the sick. They just wouldn't have thought that. We disassociate from that part yeah. of the ministry. But that's the problem, is, is that we don't think the disciples thought that, and they continued to not only do the ministry, but make disciples and teach that as a part of it. Right. So when people are cessationists and they say, in the apostolic age, the power of God, like through a believer— is done away because now that we have the scriptures, which by the way, we didn't have in its totality until like past the 300s. I mean, we just didn't have it. So people will say there was this apostolic age and we no longer need the gifts of the Spirit or the same power of the Spirit. It's almost like God doesn't trust anybody with this kind of healing power. Who can you point to that carries this kind of healing power like the apostles did, which assumes that we know what their daily life was like rather than just what was recorded in the Gospels in the book of Acts, which could have been every month they healed somebody. We don't know. But the point is, is that we disassociate from the healing ministry as a part of discipleship. They would not have done that. And when Jesus prepared them for his ascension after he had risen from the dead, he says in Acts 1.6, when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? The disciples still didn't quite think right about what Jesus was doing. And he says to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father set by his own authority, but... 
you will receive power. They understood what this meant. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, so you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. This is sort of the perpetuation of God's mission, not only through them, but with them as a starting point, and that it would reach the entire planet. And it has, and we're still circulating the globe with the mission of Christ, but the word power was dunamis in Greek, and it means power to do the miraculous. And we have a theology that says, not only did this happen, through Jesus and the apostles, but it was part of their discipleship ministry. It included healing. We are to heal the sick, um, and this is something we pray for, expect, believe for, and it's also what we have to include in discipleship. So healing is our ministry, or mm -hmm. it's a part of our ministry. Right. The focus is preaching the gospel and making disciples, but the power that's attached to the focus and the mission is partially to heal the sick. And I think that's where we have to start. If we don't start there, right. it's going to be very difficult for us to, um, to understand what our role is when we think about healing as a church, as believers, families, and so on. And so from there, we want to think not only biblically and theologically, but also practically. Right. Right. I think that, that coming from a doctrinally st uh, standpoint to the practice matters because how we think really, really uh, uh, helps us walk out whatever we believe. Whatever we do or what do we, whatever we believe uh, is what we practice, mm -hmm. in other words. And so, so we see the priority of the scriptures in healing. So therefore, let's hold a high regard of it. It's a priority in God's eyes to bring, uh, bring lives, make them whole in a physical sense. Right. Obviously, in a spiritual sense, too, you know, uh, he redeemed us, and the first most important part is that we're saved, and he makes us, makes us new creations. We've become the righteousness of Jesus, but we also have this other part of healing of, of, of physical life. And so I think what's really important that you mentioned is that we live in a, a moment within the church that cessationism it has grown and has begin, begun to be one of the, the, the typical uh, prior, uh, framework. It's been the most ideal framework for a believer mm -hmm. in the Western world, not, not in uh, anywhere but the, uh, everywhere else. You know, they're, they're practicing miracles. It's a normal thing. They believe in the supernatural. Uh, but here, there's a lot of things that are happening. Within the church, you have cessationism. Outside the church, you have naturalism, where you don't, like, if you walk up to people, and we both have, and say, hey, can we pray for, obviously, you have a cast on, or hey, you're in a, we notice you're in a situation, can we pray for you? They're like, what? Like, God's not going to do anything. They automatically think, this is crazy. Right. Um, uh, which means the entire belief system of Christianity being a supernatural you know, belief system is crazy to the world. And we can't expect anything less than that. So we, we need to know that we are fighting against more than one thing when we want to develop uh, a culture or a lifestyle or the practice of healing. And because everywhere we look, it says healing supernaturally mm -hmm. is not, uh, we're not capable of that. Mm -hmm. We're not able to receive that. Now, when we talk about healing, we believe in doctors. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're, go to the doctor. You're sick. Mm -hmm. Do you need treatment for terminal Ill illness? Please do do your best to make the wisest choice for the sake of our lives. Right. You know, and and a lot of times it takes wisdom and help because there's a lot of crazy practices out there. But but we want and we believe God's will 
is for healing. Right. And we'll ask the questions of the why nots later. But we, we look at naturalism. We see that even from the Reformation period, there's uh, a man named Dr. Erie. He's from uh, Yale, and he speaks of this. And a lot of cessationism actually came from the fight against the corrupt Catholicism mm-hmm. of that day. Mm-hmm. When Catholicism, basically, their, their proof, their way of um, saying that they, uh, that they were right in this battle between you know, Martin Luther and the Reformers and the Catholic Church was, hey, we have miracles on our side. Mm-hmm. We have saints and we have people who have done yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. supernatural activities happening. And so Martin, Martin Luther, being a notable cessationist, said, no way. Those are either fake and you're lying or it's demonic. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like the same rhetoric we hear today within the church. And so um, Dr. Erie would say, hey, that has actually influenced secularism and naturalist, naturalistic thinking. Mm-hmm. And so we, we need to know, okay, well, we got to wake up and make a choice that we believe, we really do believe in a Messiah who resurrected from the dead, who's the same spirit that resurrected him, is living in us now, and he gave us a mandate to make disciples with this thinking. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be odd. We're going to be swimming upstream every time, mm-hmm. but it's something we choose to do because our heart breaks for a world that is broken. Mm-hmm. And if we are carry that type of compassion and that type of love for the world to see and know Jesus, that we will step out and be weird and countercultural, then we simply will do it because mm-hmm. it's worth it and the other side. And so all that being said, how do we walk this out in practice? I, th- I think first we have to begin to talk about this. Mm-hmm. We have to notice it as we're reading the scriptures. It's just simple things underlined miraculous things that happen, Old and New Testament. It's all over the place. And you'll begin to be overwhelmed with the amount of things that God does Mm -hmm. uh, on a regular basis that is supernatural. Old, new, doesn't matter what covenant you're in. God is moving supernaturally in and through his people. Mm -hmm. And so when you start noticing that, start talking about that. Mm -hmm. So first, for your own life. I remember I was a I was, I think I was 17, 18. I was a young life leader. Mm-hmm. I was sick. The day before camp, I was like fever. You know, I was the sweat, all the whole thing, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm like laying hands on myself, mm-hmm. you know, Amen. in bed. I'm like, Lord, heal me. I woke up. I was completely fine. I was a little nervous. Like, um, should I go? I went. These days you can't do that. You know, you need quarantines. Yeah, right. <laughs> but but I, I went and I was like totally fine. Right. And whether it was just like I I... It, it worked it itself out naturally or laying my hands on myself, you mm-hmm. know, I'm like, I'm the elder here. I'm where's the oil, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I went in the cabinets, found olive oil was done. No, I didn't do that, but mm-hmm. I was just praying for, for God to, to heal me. And I didn't even have a framework. I just began to pray because I was like, I'm, I think I'm needed this week mm-hmm. as a, as this volunteer youth leader. And, um, and, and so we have to just start believing and practicing and asking God for it. I'll tell you this, I've, I've, ha- I've been more sick than I've been healed, mm-hmm. but it doesn't keep me from praying right. for healing uh-huh. when I'm sick. And for my kids and for my family, we, we, we try to practice when something happens, even when my kids are little, so when they scrape themselves and they're, it hurts, I'm like, well, let's pray for it. Mm-hmm. Even, the, even the things that we know will go away within tomorrow that it'll be gone, right. you know, and it will, you know, thankfully we have bodies that God created that heal themselves, you know, in those ways. And, 
but we still pray with them because we want them to grow up enculturated with the with the belief that God's goodness includes healing. Yeah, amen. And so we pray and say, Lord, make it all better. Mm-hmm. Make it all better. We don't we don't like, hey, sit here. We're going to minister to you for several hours. We just a few seconds say, God, just make it all better. Mm-hmm. As we're evangelizing and as we're ministering and making disciples of people, we begin to talk about it. We begin to pray for that. We begin to sow seeds of belief for that. Mm-hmm. And so what what this is, is we have to create an environment mm-hmm. of belief. Mm-hmm. Now, we talked about the faith movement last time yeah. and how we're, I'm not talking about positive thinking equates to healing. Or faith in faith, right? right? Or psychological certainty. If I just say it enough or believe it in my head and state it with my word, like it's not just up to you. Like trust is active, right? Right. Like, like faith is seen through your prayers, not just through words that you sort of formulate. And that's sort of the, right. I think the difficulty of the faith movement we talked about right. was that they, they believe it's almost like if you have this, the more psychologically certain you are mm-hmm. and you sort of like smash yourself every time you have another thought, you know, right. you could never have a, a, a doubt to them is is some type of like thought or even like reality yeah. half the time. It's like the devil usurping every, you right. know, sucking everything. It's like, well, no, that's that's not, I had a friend, we prayed for healing. And I remember this is years ago, but they were just like, I believe God, I believe. Like they were trying to gain more belief thinking if they're, if, if they gain more belief, now I'm reading into it, but if they gain more belief, God will right. do something. It's like talking uh, themselves into it. Yeah, yeah. and I'm like, and hey, that's, you know, the dan- that's the danger. Yeah. The danger is, is that you go to a place where you think a lot of it's on you. We're saying there is a part yeah. that we play, but we're believing in Scripture. That's why we laid out all this Scripture is because right. what, what do we put our faith in? We put right. our faith in the Bible. Right. Jesus healed. He calls us to heal. He calls us to believe Him for healing. Yeah. Through His atonement, we have been made whole. Our, uh, through, by his stripes, we have been made whole. I mean, we've, we've been healed. But that healing is... I, here's the way, part of the way I, I look at it. You're talking about um, th- developing a culture and thinking practically. I think a lot of this has to do with, number one, knowing what the Bible says, mm-hmm. practicing it practically mm-hmm. in your own life. Like you said, with your kids, we pray. When someone gets sick, we pray. But also recognizing that we're a tripart being. We're spirit, we're soul, mm-hmm. and we're body. And we have to steward the natural mm-hmm. and contend for the supernatural. Right. And I think that's the best posture. If you don't steward the natural, I mean, for example, this is a really bad, excuse me, I'm sorry, guys, but I'm just giving you a really bad one, which does exist in the charismatic camp, and it gets really crazy. Mm-hmm. But where people will, um, I've even seen people where they'll have like, I've seen a um, people believe for supernatural weight loss. Yeah, it's like God. Would you help me to off fifty pounds like overnight to prove that you? You mean you are... haven't done that? No, I haven't done that. <laughs> I would love that. Hey, man. But yeah. the point is, is like if you just think about that. Okay, God, give me you know shed fifty pounds right. off my body overnight, totally. even though it took me five years to get there. And listen, I'm a person who's had to lose plenty of weight in my life. So all oh, my hats off to anybody that's ever had to lose a pound. Okay, so just don't right. get offended here. But I've watched how people want to sort of sidestep the stewardship of the natural. Mm -hmm. And to me, yes, God sometimes will usurp that. Certainly, we make bad decisions, right? right? So it's not like God's like waiting for us to to do uh, 70% and then He'll do 30. I don't know the equation, but I do know that 
maturity is not always asking God to do the things that he gave us a mind and a hands and a mouth. And I mean, he gave us the ability to steward. He wants us to mature at the mm -hmm. same time. So we're tripart beings. We're spirit, soul, and body. We have to learn how to steward the natural, which is why medical care and medical advancement, not to trust in pills right. per se, or no. there isn't any... Um, dark side to that. There can right. be, certainly. But uh, we also have to be thankful for the natural and that God heals through human hands. Right. He right. also heals supernaturally. He also heals eternally. I don't know why people get offended by that, that, that are part of the Pentecostal church. I'm as Pentecostal as anybody, but I believe that like, you know, we're all going to die physically. Our totally. internal organs are going to shut down. So, that doesn't mean that we don't pray for healing. We should, and we must, and we do. We believe in God's power to heal. But it also means that like God heals through human hands. He heals supernaturally. Mm -hmm. he, heals, he, uh, he heals eternally. And so creating a culture where healing is normal has to do with faith in the Bible, right? practicing it in our own life, and also understanding that unbelief is really... Uh, a massive problem mm -hmm. in that um, unbelief is not a little bit of doubt. Unbelief is to disbelieve. Right. It really is to say, well, God's not going to do that. Mm -hmm. So there are the theological, there's a theological unbelief, right. cessationism. But there's also a practical cessationism where it's almost like if you have uh, chronic headaches and you're the person that would say, well, I'm not going to ask God because he's either too busy or I've prayed mm -hmm. too much. Or if somebody at church says, if you have a physical need, would you raise your hand or would you come forward for prayer? There are a lot of people that just don't mm -hmm. because to them, they think it's too small. Right. And so that is not part of a culture of right. the soup contending for the supernatural. We want to um, I'm I'm the kind of person like if something's sick or something's wrong, let's just keep asking together. Right. Um, and that's not the only thing we ask for. That doesn't mean that the only thing that I'm asking God to do is is heal me. Um, I'm asking Him to save everyone. I'm asking mm -hmm. Him to use me as to make disciples. But mm -hmm. there has to be an element where we contend. Right. We're asking. Right. We're our disposition is bent towards God moving in power for right. us and through us. And so I I think unbelief. Is not just a theological issue, but it's a practical right. one where it we is. sort of have these little practices. And I think as a pastors, people get worn down yeah, with, do. with, I mean, when, when you are living in pain, you get hopeless real quick. You go from hope to hopeless in seconds, mm -hmm. you know? And I think as a pastor, I mean, you know, as a doctrine, we're saying, hey, don't, let's not give up. As as one who's afflicted, God gives grace to the afflicted. Right, right. In, in the pain, in in those moments, we are praying for you um, and believing with you, and we want to prop you up when you when you're losing hope, and we want to help just make bring, lift your. We want to help you lift your eyes to see the goodness of God mm -hmm. in that moment, all the way around. Mm -hmm. So it's not like ignoring or being having a lack of compassion for anyone who has uh, illness pain that has lasted for even decades. Like mm -hmm. we, there's so much compassion. God has compassion. We don't have all the answers uh, regarding why you are still dealing with it, but we still want to pray because we, we can't develop, uh, we don't know the time of which anything happens, but we know people have prayed for years and then they've spoken in tongues. We know people who have prayed for years and then they've been healed. We know that 
spouses have prayed for their spouse to be saved and decades later they came to the mm-hmm, lord mm-hmm. we don't know why it takes so long sometimes we have no idea like we our mind is not god's our, his thoughts are are higher than ours his ways are higher than ours in every regard so we can trust him he's only been good to us he gave his son for us he's only been good to us he he redeemed us of of mm-hmm. sin he's made us new creations he's given us his holy spirit he's given us purpose he has sent us with mission and um with mandate he's made us as his poema his his workmanship his mm-hmm. his masterpiece he mm-hmm. has made us into something that he finds us incredibly important and he's mindful mm-hmm. of us in our pain mm-hmm. and so i think even as pastors when we're leading a room of of and you can talk about this too is like uh, when you're leading a room for healing mm-hmm. there's things we want to avoid because we see the extreme faith movement positive thinking, you know, any bit of doubt is not allowed in this room. It's very intense and like this or that. We we help or guaranteeing people. Yeah. Everybody walks out today healed. Right. You say stuff like that and it's like, really? Yeah. Like you said, healing is a promise, but it's not guaranteed. It's promised. Like Mm -hmm. in 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 this life or the next, we will be whole. It's a real heaven has healing in it. You yeah. know, it's an eternal reality and promise for but sure. But we create, yeah. we create, we create boundaries and helpful pr- practices where we, you know, we want to help say, hey, let's believe. We give words of knowledge, or we just felt like the Lord wants to heal, so we invite people to to come to the prayer teams and and we we minister. But we also help people lead them out. Like at the end of the prayer, we help we help lead them out with hope mm-hmm. and knowing that God has their life in mind. They, they have, you know, and so we, you don't have to, to believe in healing and practice healing and lead a church in healing or lead your small group in healing. It's not like you, you have to, have, like you're, if you start praying for it and it doesn't happen, then you're at fault. No, God has asked us to do it. We're his vessels. And so we, we do it and then we can help walk on the other side. Well, stop right there. Okay. Yeah. Cause, cause you're hitting a an issue, yeah, and I and I think we got to dig a little deeper. At least in my mind, in my mind, it's going down this rabbit hole. <laughs> but I think I think that we do we are conditioned. Okay, again, I'm just talking yeah. Pentecostal church. We are conditioned that has to happen right now. Right, that's kind of part of what you're talking about. Is that if we're going to have a culture of healing, and we're going to have practices that lead to seeing the supernatural power of God released, there are things that we got to do. But then we have to do them consistently right. and continually. Right. But there is a conditioned mindset, and let's just acknowledge it today that if it doesn't happen right away, it hasn't happened at all. Mm-hmm. So you just mentioned decades. You said somebody believed God for decades and the person got healed. Somebody believed God for decades and the spouse got saved or or whatever. Right. Well, in the process, they must have believed the Lord. Uh, in having enduring faith, right? It wasn't just the quality, right, or the quantity. It was the the duration, right? They had to continue to put their trust in God's word, right, over the long haul, right. And I think that it can be difficult and demoralizing for a person who thinks that if I pray and it doesn't happen, that somehow something's either wrong with me or wrong with my doctrine, Mm -hmm. when in reality, there's a lot that we don't know when it comes to like the working of God. You said his thoughts are above our thoughts, his ways are above our ways. What we do know is this is who he is. What we do know is this is what he does. What we do know is this is a promise over our lives. And so we put our faith in him and we do that for the long haul. But 
I think people, I think we can be conditioned to that. I need it in a moment. I need, and that's where I think, honestly, Pentecostal churches get into trouble. That's where the word of faith movement goes down right. that hill. It's right. almost like it's all it's happened now. And I, I've even heard people say this when they pray. They're like, "I just believe you're healed," and I'm like, "Okay, that's unhelpful." Um, <laughs> but here's the question: Why do you have to say that? Right? Why do we feel the need? to have to make those proclamations over someone. Right. If God's God and he's powerful and he loves us, and he is all the things that you just said, God is good, God is able, God is willing, the scriptures are true. If we just put our faith in him, right? why do we have to make all these baggage statements mm-hmm. like, well, I believe God just healed you, you right. know, and the person's not healed. Right. Because there's this pressure for all of it to happen inside this one moment. And I right. think, honestly, we look at everything spiritually like that. We look at our sanctification like that. We look at our healing like that. We look at our maturity like that. I don't know. I don't read a book like that. I mean, it, it's like there's just no value to any process whatsoever. Right. right. And and I think that's part of a misconception that we have because we don't fully understand how exactly or why exactly God works the way he does. Mm-hmm. And I think it's okay to admit Lord, I don't understand why and how and when all of these things happen mm-hmm. in, in your timing and in your way, but I'm just going to put my faith in you, right. period. And that to me, I've, I've had friends that have died mm-hmm. um, with stage four cancer, and I've never seen a person with more faith than them, yeah. ever. Yeah. Yeah. They believed the Lord, and they died in faith. Yeah. And that's the reality is they contend until the end. Yeah. They believe God, and now they're healed. Now they're with the Lord. Even John but, Wimber, when he was, you know, 1997, seen, died from cancer. Yeah, he's seen you know? thousands of people healed from all sorts of things, and he's dying of cancer. And so is our answer that, yeah. you know, he didn't pray enough or do enough or practice script? No, I think he practiced the scriptures. I think he believed God all the way up until the end. Yeah. I mean, here's a guy who was seeing thousands upon thousands healed, and when he was preaching sermons in his own church, he had to relieve himself uh, and leave the pulpit sometimes to go use the bathroom in the middle of his message. Yeah. <laughs> because he was uh, going through chemo and difficulty yeah. with uh, and pain. Yeah. And he's like, I'm sorry, guys. He would ask one of his associates to come up and stall while he used the restroom. I mean, during his message. Wow. I mean, how embarrassing wow. is that? Yeah. And to for people to look at that and even think for a second this man didn't have faith is is crazy and 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 that's what's hard and and hurtful and i think part of why we're bringing all this up is that is we don't want to be conditioned by um by the momentary we want yeah. to be conditioned by the miraculous and the miraculous doesn't have to happen in the way that we want it or think it we have to trust in god uh, all the way through, yeah. no matter the outcome. And yes, we are asking for a supernatural outcome unashamedly. Like we have yeah. to be passionate about God's um, power being released. I had a revelation, uh, Trevor, about um, how we can steward this. I was reading all the passages on healing, and it specifically states that all who came to Jesus were healed. There are a lot of people in Galilee. There are a lot of people um, throughout the various regions Mm -hmm. that Jesus traveled with his disciples. He didn't heal every person per se, but it says all who came to him were healed. Very, very seldom will you ever find a time where Jesus just randomly walked up to somebody. John chapter 5 is such a time. Yeah, and John 9, yeah. Yeah, John John 5, John 9. We don't have a lot of records 
of those instances where Jesus singled out a person. But even when he did, it's kind of weird because he went to one person and there could have been hundreds, like yeah. at the pool of Beth- pool, yeah. at the Bethesda. pool of Bethesda. There was in John five, we don't know who else he might have healed. Yeah. But but my point is is that all who came to him were healed. And then I was reading James five thirteen, and James says, Is any one of you in trouble he should pray? Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? He should call, he should call the elders of the church to pray over him, anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well, and the Lord will raise him up. And it goes on from there. But I got this revelation. If a person, if I'm sick, I call the elders of the church. Now I'm an elder of the church, so I call myself, I guess. But <laughs> but as a pastor, one of the things that I felt w- we were responsible for yeah. was to make it clear how people could receive healing prayer. In other words, after every service that we have, we basically offer prayer at the end of the service. We let everyone know Wednesday, Saturday, Sunday, Sunday, we have four services a week. But at any point that we gather, we tell people, we have people uh, would love to pray with you and partner in agreement. This is where we would anoint you with oil. This is where we would pray for the sick. Because it's my responsibility not to get people to the altar, but to let them know we're here. We're mm-hmm. elders of the church are waiting to pray. Mm-hmm. And and because I want, I don't want them to not know in our church how to do that. Right. Um, do I call you on the phone or what do I do? Because we're just a, a larger church setting. So it's important that we're clear, but also that people come. Right, because the practical unbelief can be that a person could have headaches forever, but like, oh, I, I don't want to bother anybody, and I prayed for this a lot. But we make our side clear so that we can partner with our right. church community. But it says, everyone who came to Jesus, if you're sick, call the elders of the church. This is where we do employ our active faith. Right, we put our faith in the scriptures by putting our feet to work. We've got to, mm-hmm. we've got to go to a person. We've got to come to Jesus. We've got to ask in prayer. If those things aren't done, I don't know how you can see the promises of God activated and fulfilled, mm-hmm. no, number one. Number two is that the more that we do this, the more healing we'll see. Yeah, That's just a really simple, right. practical thing. The more we ask God to heal, the more God's going to heal. Right. It's just a fact. Right. And so if you just do the simple math, how many times did you pray for people to be healed? How many people did you pray for? How many times did you ask for prayer? If you just do the math, you're going to find that where there's an increase of prayer, there's an increase of healing. Right. Certainly not everything happens the way we ask, but yeah. I just had that revelation. You got to come, you got to ask. Yeah. We have to and we have to make it clear how this works. And I think as leaders actually putting things in the practice, I think it takes a lot of intentionality to lead an environment and a church of healing. Because you can go haywire. You can have the guy who's always declaring healing, yep. de- decreeing and declaring everything. You have the guy who's saying, well, that's not going to happen. Right. You know, uh, every every church has both, you know. Mm-hmm. And so helping create really good training mm-hmm. and really good communication. And if you reach out to us, we can give resources that would help bring practice if you're a leader mm-hmm. on how you're to walk this out, how you can really... Uh, communicate well from the stage. How do you train your prayer leaders? How do you train your ministry leaders? How to train elders? Maybe it's like we believe it, but we really don't know how to practice it with pastoral heart in one hand, but faith in the other. How do you carry that tension? There is ways to do it. I see, we see it a lot. It's functioning a lot more than you think Mm -hmm. in the church. 
and so um, I think communicating up front, you know, hey, we, we want to be praying for that. You can just leak your theology all the time. Hey, God heals. Testimonies but of the Lord. Testimonies. You know, sharing what God's done. Yeah, and, and just going, yeah, and, and even going, sometimes people don't, sometimes testimonies of things that don't happen can be encouraging. <laughs> you know, it's not like you're always hearing about the most monumental thing and you're like, well, where's my monumental thing? You know, like sometimes we just need a, a testimony like it didn't work out. Right. Like in evangelism, I call those courage testimonies. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I have, yeah, yeah. No, I have in evangelism, we, we have people come and share when I do the class. I go, okay, I'm asking everybody to share this week with someone. But the assumption is that there's going to be these powerful testimonies. <laughs> yeah. But the reality is, is that we have to share courage testimonies. Like I tried and Bob didn't get saved. You know, Bob yelled at me and said, get out of my face. And everybody claps. Yeah, you know, <laughs> but then we pray for Bob, yeah, you know, or yeah. sorry if your name's Bob and you're listening. Yeah, yeah. But I'm saying that you have to have like courage. Like we practiced the Bible. Mm -hmm. We did what the scriptures teach. Mm -hmm. We were faithful to that. Yeah. And we trust God yeah. no matter what. Testimonies of faithfulness Amen. over the fruit. Because yeah. we can't control the fruit, but we can control our faithfulness. Yeah. We do have the ability to say, yes, I'm going to be obedient. And so, I mean, you read, if you read Power Healing, you'll see the, the, like the discouraging journey of healing for John Wimber. And almost everyone who ever carried a, a uh, ministry of healing mm -hmm. in a massive way started, a lot of them started so discouraged. They had a burden to see people healed, right. but not, no fruit was happening. But they just felt this mandate in their heart to keep praying and keep praying. Yeah. And finally, for whatever reason, God turned the corner and began to heal lots of people. Yeah. And so, you know, I th we're we're really uh, about creating accountable environments. Yeah. So as pastors, we create uh, uh, really com uh, comfortable as comfortable as we can mm -hmm. uh, for people to come forward, and that they can be safe when they go. Hey, I'm dealing with X issue. Will you pray? in faith with me, mm -hmm. that that there's trained um, uh, people in front of them who are mature, who are not going to go gossip about the issues you just mm -hmm. confessed, whether it's, you know, pain physically or, or uh, in other ways, and, and then walking you through the process of prayer and standing with you, not against you, mm -hmm. not this confrontation, you know, all those things that people get hurt by, right. we, we create really important policy and accountability where we see something that isn't part of the culture we want to build as a church. We go talk to that person mm -hmm. and say, hey, you know, this is not the way we do it and this is how we want to do it. And so we, we work really hard to create those environments so that people can come mm -hmm. to the elders, can come up front and go, okay, I, I, I feel like I can, mm -hmm. I can do that safely and know that I'll be prayed for. Uh, and maybe not talked about or whatever else their fears mm -hmm. could be. But I think that's a really important thing to yeah, know. Yeah, being pastoral and I, you know, because we have to walk through life together and, and there's more than than healing. And, yeah. and that's just real. I think if we steward the church environment the same way that we think of our homes. Yeah, exactly. Right? So I mean, just the way, that's just the way. I, I, I always have always taught prayer teams and people that pray for others the golden rule, uh, Jesus said, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. So I just try to use that uh, for everything that we do in ministry. Pray for others as you would have them pray for you. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so personally, I don't want somebody to dump a bunch of oil on my head <laughs> and, and I don't want them to push me. 
mm-hmm. like that's spiritual, and I don't I don't want people to palm my head uh, after after I uh, did my hair and I need to get up uh, and and. And and speak, so <laughs> yeah, right. I just I just think you could put your hand on a shoulder. I, I'm not saying right. it's wrong to put your hand on someone's head, but I mean, it could be horrifying to a person that doesn't understand that culture. Yeah, um, I've seen people pour vials of oil on someone's head before. That's horrifying. Uh, why? Like oh like biblically speaking, gosh. like why? Like you have to go like yeah. thousands of years back to like the the oil running over Aaron's beard or something. Yeah. Like how how does it even make sense? You know, like why would you that do is... that? Like it's so it's you. I mean, you cross a whole lot of levels, right? When uh, relationally, when you do that, yeah. and but here's the thing: if you did that in your home to your spouse or to your kid, you're gonna answer for that every day. <laughs> hey, Dad, remember when you did that weird thing to me? <laughs> that was super weird, you know. And then I had to like go to bed. I had to wash that thing off all night. I mean, you just you can't get away from the consequence of your actions yeah. when you live in a home with people. And I think the more we disconnect from the the church being home, right. the easier it is right. to do weird things right. that you think you're going to get away with. Right. But when you have an answer for that stuff, you know, that's where charismania can shift to charismatic. Right. And that's, you know, unfortunately, I know people, if you're listening, you get upset because you feel like I'm kicking the charismatic church or the Pentecostal church. You just have to understand, I want to fight for us reclaiming the contending for the supernatural. Oh, yes. The problem is, is that we're wading through these murky waters, and and anytime we I, we correct our own camp, somebody crops up and says, you know, well, you don't even believe, or they make it extreme. Like if I, we don't want to, um, I, you can't correct anything. If you don't correct anything, you will never have a pure ministry. No. You, you can't. And so it's part of why unhealthy practices seep in and establish themselves. And so I'm just trying to speak up and say, yes, some of these things can be healthy. When you put your hand on someone's head, that can be a healthy thing. Um, But I also think it can be unhealthy. I think we have to have the pastoral capacity and the sensitivity to understand that not everybody gets culturally some of the stuff that we've sort of associated with faith or or, um, healing prayer or anything like that. I think I think the sweet spot and the juice is found in simply the prayer, the sincerity of our faith in the Word of God, and practicing it consistently and continually, yeah. and really loving the people that are in front of us, because God's the one that does the work. We don't heal people. God heals people, but we participate in having faith in His right. Word to do what He says He'll do, and that's what we what we have to do. Isn't it a practice at Northwest? Don't you have something somewhere, some dirt in Every prayer team member spits in the dirt and puts it on no, people. No, we do not do that. We don't do, I, no, ah, no. Man, anybody watching was... <laughs> this realizes already that Trevor <laughs> does not know what he's talking about when it comes to our church. He does not attend our church. He's only been here uh, one, twice I, uh, well, in three years. Okay? I just thought you had more faith, you know, because, you know, it's only mud. You know, Jesus used the mud, remember? I will practice this on you after this <laughs> podcast. Oh, Apparently, okay. that's what we're opening oh. the door to. Um <laughs> <laughs> I, I, we want to land, of course, by talking about navigating some of the questions that we have. The first question is an easy one. Why why doesn't everyone get healed? I love it. It's the easy it's one. It's the easy one. Why, why doesn't everyone get healed? Oh, I've got a lot easy. of answers for this. There's a lot of answers. Yeah. Uh, generally speaking, we don't know why. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so let's, just, yeah. let's just start at a base level. Yeah. Uh, first of all, <laughs> we're not God. He is, um, and we don't know why. But there are, we, we've already brought up practical unbelief, like mm-hmm. theological unbelief, practical unbelief, mm-hmm. meaning that we don't practice the scriptures. So we don't come, we don't call the elders of the church. We don't come mm-hmm. to Jesus. We don't ask in prayer, all of that. 
Um, potentially also we don't steward the natural, like we're expecting supernatural things to happen and we don't mind being negligent and there's a balance somewhere in there. I'm not saying that's always the case, but it could be one of the reasons. Um, you know, like last night I didn't sleep very well. You want to know why? It's because I ate ice cream mm. at nine o'clock at night and that was a bad decision. Okay. So that's why I'm floating on less sleep today. <laughs> Uh, and it's not God's fault, okay? It's yeah, not It's yeah. not the lack of my prayer and the lack of his answer. It's uh, the increase of my ice cream consumption, which was mm-hmm. a bad idea. I knew it when I ate it. I enjoyed it for 15 minutes, Trevor. And, <laughs> and then the rest was downhill from there. And so I have a choice to make tonight. Ooh. I can eat ice cream uh, or I can sleep. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just a choice, yeah. but like, but I can't blame God. Uh, this is definitely, there's higher issues than this, but I'm just giving an example that mm-hmm. if I choose not to steward the natural mm-hmm. that I'm fully aware of, okay, and then I'm like, not God, here. I'm not sleeping, you know, some, I just be honest, like, there was a time in my life where I wasn't sleeping very well, and some of that was just clearly attributed to the fact that I ate past a certain amount, mm-hmm. uh, past a certain time, and I was eating sugar, yeah, um, or I was drinking coffee. I used to drink coffee at 3 p.m., um, now I don't drink a second cup of coffee, and it has drastically changed my ability to sleep. But I was praying and asking God, Lord, help me to sleep, help me to sleep. But I wasn't making any natural adjustments at all. And I, I just think at some point, there's no maturity in that. Totally. At some point, you got to say, 100%. I can't drink a second cup of coffee at 3 p.m. I can't be eating sugar uh, at night, late at night, 100%. okay? And I need to reduce the amount of ice cream that I eat. I just don't eat it anymore, and last night was... Uh, was a fluke. So there, there's that. Um, there's also a ton of other reasons why people don't get healed. What do you think? Why do you, why do people not get healed? Oh yeah, I think sometimes sin. Yep. You know, yep. uh, not personal okay. specific. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, well, let's clarify this because not everything that doesn't happen supernatural in someone's life is is sin right. or, or because of sin. Right. The sin nature exists our whole life. Sin is perpetuating throughout the world. Mm -hmm. And so we're affected by sin all the time. Mm -hmm. So in two ways, sin does this. Um, Sin of another Mm -hmm. in some way. Um, And it's, and we're like, and we, you know, someone is a drunk driver and crashes into somebody, Mm -hmm. you know, and we receive that pain. And now we have neck issues our whole life. Someone else's sin made our, made our pain you know, made uh, that, that, that kind of thing. And so sin happened, but also sin in our own life mm-hmm. can, ha- can do that, bl- which creates blinders mm-hmm. for what God wants to do. And, and so uh, there's all sorts of things. I think like I get tension headaches and I know why, because I know I carry stress that I don't need to mm-hmm. be anxious for nothing. You know, I go to the Lord and, and, and I can give that over and I can feel like my body calm mm-hmm. in the presence of God. Uh, but I still am trained as a mere human to carry stress in a way where I just can overthink things. I can, you know, like any other person, mm-hmm. and, you know, anxiety is that, is that sin? I'm not necessarily saying that, but our vices are uh, the things that we just struggle with, sin, sin against us, sin in us, that can affect a lack of healing mm-hmm. um, or perpetuate even greater pain. Uh, like if you eat ice cream tonight, mm-hmm. you know, you just like gluttony leads to, you know, 
I guess lack of sleep for wasn't some. a lot of ice cream, Trevor. It wasn't. Gluttony. I'm not saying. Well, yeah. I'm just. Yeah. No, I wasn't. David, let's see what he did there. Okay, that's called <sighs> you know, judgment. We're gonna have another podcast about that. Trevor won't <laughs> be here for that one though. <laughs> My picture will be yeah, here. Trevor's picture will, will be, be up here. <laughs> I said, "What do you think about Trevor?" And it'll be here's, like, a, "Here's Trevor's messages. Let's analyze them, you know, <laughs> and judge them." No, I'm kidding. And so I, I think, um, I think the enemy there, there are probably not on every case. I mean, every time someone has sickness, there's not a demonic spirit behind right. it. Because there's just too many things in the world right. that um, that help perpetuate any type of sickness or pain in our body. Right. But oftentimes the enemy does mm-hmm. inflict things, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and and uh, you know, so we we have to be aware of that. So when we're praying, just to even go back to the practical, just for a moment, when we're praying, there's so many things that we need to be discerning of of mm-hmm. why mm-hmm. someone's not getting healed in that moment, and it takes some maturity and training and and lots of prayer and trying to begin to hear God. God, what are you saying about this situation? Is there sin or is there unbelief? Is there um, a demonic spirit here? What is it? So you can be hearing with that person or for yourself so we can discern well, so we can minister well, Mm -hmm. you know, and effectively. In Mark 3, there's a passage where four guys bring their friend um, on a stretcher to Jesus, they open up the tiles and the roof, mm-hmm. lower him down. They couldn't get in the house. When they lower him down, Jesus sees him and he says, son, your fate or, or your sins are forgiven. Everybody is angry. You know, the religious, mm-hmm. uh, the religious people, um, the Pharisees, I should say, the Pharisees were angry because they considered it blasphemy. Right. Only God can forgive sins. But then Jesus says, so that you know that the son of man has uh, authority to forgive sins. He said, get up, pick up your mat and go home. And so Jesus dealt with the heart first. Mm-hmm. I think uh, while I can't make this to be such a massive theological issue per se, but I do think that it follows what we've already brought up here in passages where sickness comes from original sin, not just specific mm-hmm. sin, but it can come from specific sin. We don't know the story of that guy, but he deals with his heart first. He says, son, your sins are forgiven. Right. That's really powerful. But then the second thing he does is say, now get up and pick up your mm-hmm. mountain and go. And then he physically heals him, right? And so right. there is a connection uh, at times between sin and sickness. Again, we don't know the context of that story. We just see what Jesus did. But it's a very powerful thing, and I think um, we don't want to overdo this. But when you're sick, and if you, if you, it's never a wrong thing to say, "Lord, is there anything that I'm doing or anything blinding me? Am I participating or contributing to right. anything?" Now, I don't want you to obsess over that. Right. I don't want you to. It's not some cosmic puzzle. Either you are or you are not. Right. But I've had many testimonies where people have said, "God has shown me that I've been gossiping. Mm-hmm. God has shown me that I've had a critical spirit, mm-hmm. and I repented of that. Mm-hmm. God has shown me I've had the fear of man in my life." And sometimes that stuff will create an anxiety and panic in our body, and our body is just like it becomes toxic and mm-hmm. it causes a sickness in and of itself. And when God releases his shalom in our body, his mm-hmm. peace, it actually releases some of that stuff that can be crippling us right. at times. It's it, it might sound odd to some people that hear that, but the reality is it's true. And, and I learned in praying for a lot of people that occasionally you'll have what people will say is a manifestation. Like if I lay hands on someone and they fall to the ground, why would that happen? And 
I think some folks will automatically say, that's a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Well, I've taught otherwise. That's not a manifestation of the Holy Spirit most of the time. What that is, is when you lay hands on a person, if God moves powerfully like in their life, mm-hmm. and it, it touches their heart to a degree where it physically releases them of something. Mm-hmm. And their body doesn't know what to do. Like your your body might be bound up mm-hmm. because of what's going on in your soul. Right. And when God releases over your soul the peace that He alone can bring, your body just sort of like goes limp. Right. And that's not the Holy Spirit slamming a person to the ground. Sometimes that's just it's kind of like we're wound up real tight. Mm-hmm. And a release can happen, and your body doesn't know what to do, so you just fall. And I, I, I learned that over a long period of time. That as I prayed for people, I never just let them bounce on the ground. I, <laughs> I, I think that's disrespectful, right? Um, honestly. So what I try to do is just lovingly help someone to a seat where they can experience the work of God in their life, right? But the truth is, is that we just sometimes don't realize the connection, right? And I don't know that I can always discern it. Truthfully, right. I don't, I don't really understand that arena. Other than to say, I do believe this happens, that our physical is connected to that spiritual release. And so when the enemy comes against us, he's trying to bind us, he's trying to destroy us, he's trying to lie to us. So we buy into a lie of the enemy, and it afflicts our physical body because we can't sleep, we're Mm -hmm. obsessing over something in a lack of sleep, we start to, uh, we're malnutritioned, maybe that's not the right word, but we're, we're... overeating or we're eating the wrong things or we're not eating enough or sometimes people move toward mm-hmm. he, uh, eating disorders. All kinds of stuff can happen right, as right. a result of being plagued with lies right. and enemy thoughts, wounds and sins from other people. So it's not just like this spiritual ethereal thing. It often happens over time in very really normal circumstances where your body can get racked with all kinds of illness from just the things that happen in life, but we don't make the connection all the time. Mm-hmm. And although that Mark chapter three is not a good connection, like Jesus says, your sins right. are forgiven. And then he says, so that you might know that the son of man has authority to forgive, forgive sins, sins, get up and walk. I, I'm just saying that there is a connection right. often enough where we can't fully explain. Like I right. can't explain yeah. that, you know. but we can all admit doctors will, psychologists will, that stress is linked to all kinds of illness all and kinds. disease. Oh, um, totally. That you're not capable in your soul of carrying some of these things, and your body just doubles over, cripples um, the anxiety, the mental health that is created. Sometimes I'm not talking about clinical stuff, but from the the wounds that we suffer and the things mm-hmm. that we go through in life. So I, I guess what we're trying to say is there are a lot of reasons why people don't get healed. There are four occurrences in the New Testament where people don't get healed. Philippians chapter 2, verse 27, Epaphroditus wasn't healed. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, 1 Timothy 5, 23. Paul does not tell Timothy in 1 Timothy 5 um, to just believe God. He tells him, drink a little wine. I mean, that's just not encouragement that I give to people, okay? <laughs> I say, don't like, you know, tip a glass of wine for your frequent stomach illnesses. It's just not, but he certainly doesn't do what the word of faith people do. Mm-hmm. Well, you just need to believe God. You just need, he just says, amen, you need to get a little bit more mm-hmm. of the fruit of the vine in your system. Yeah, <laughs> maybe it's another way of saying do, receive communion. I don't, I don't know. Some people right. have 
have thought that. Um, but we also have Trophimus in 2 Timothy 4, and even Paul was ill in Galatians 4.13. Mm-hmm. I mean, regardless of what you think about the thorn in his flesh, right. okay, that says it was a messenger of Satan. I don't have a theology on that. A messenger right. of Satan sent to torment you. Um, teach your kids that one, all right? Yeah, yeah. I don't, regard, let's put that one to the side, but in Galatians 4.13, it speaks about Paul having an illness where he couldn't go somewhere. So, you know, I mean, he, the way he discussed it was not sometimes the typical way that people talk about sickness, disease. And, and it didn't change him. their mindset. I just it kept like, going, being faithful kept, to God. They just kept believing God heals. Yeah. I mean, it, it wasn't like a disruption, like a, 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 it wasn't doubt sowed. It was just like, they were okay with it. They were okay with having the theology of, 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 of healing and to say, take a little wine, you know? Uh, for the ailment. I mean, mm-hmm. it was natural and supernatural, and they had no issue. Well, let me ask you this. If God is good, then why didn't he heal me or do anything? That's a question that people have. Oh, yeah. And and I think This we, goes into the whole oh, atheist, agnostic yeah. debate. And the thing is, he is good. <laughs> yep. You, you exist. He gave you life. Life is a gift. I mean, it's all perspective, and it's a Western perspective. Yeah. We have people in third worlds thanking God they found drinking water today, and we're upset because... We we didn't we got Dasani over something else. I mean, it's all perspective. I'm not trying to belittle anyone who's in pain, who is truly asking the question. I've been asking, and I don't feel like anything's happening. Right? There's there there can be a lot of things, and that's that's a that's a time a pastoral time where you you, you pray and talk and confess, and you know we hear you, but it's all perspective. Mm-hmm. It's all perspective. Jesus gave Himself for us. Mm-hmm. There's nothing more that he needed to do on our bed. If he died, resurrected, and ascended and did nothing, mm-hmm. he did enough. Mm-hmm. If he just showed up, I mean, he's the only God who came for us. Mm-hmm. He's the only God who gives grace and mercy. He's the only God who does that. Mm-hmm. And so what, what has happened um, is that in our world of humanism, we say, well, the, the Bible got the premise wrong. Mm-hmm. We were made without, we are good, and we just got to find the goodness in us again. Mm-hmm. And we go, no, you're going to find yourself just going, man, I, 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 finite meeting finite is just never going to work. Jesus is good. We weren't so good. He gave his life. And that's like just, I mean, that's how complicated and simple as it is. He is, he's never not been good. He actually owns that definition. Mm-hmm. He owns the word good. So if we go to a philosophical way of thinking, it, it just doesn't work. Mm-hmm. He's good because he started what good is and what and he's defined what bad is. And then he and then he embodied goodness mm-hmm. to the fullest. And even if he does nothing in our life ever again, he's still worthy of all of our praise and all of our life because he gave his life for us. Right. And let's not remove ourselves from the impact and the power of the gospel of what he has done, we should nurture and and uh, nurture that thing in us to believe every day. God, thank you for life. Like today is so good. Mm-hmm. Why? Because I am redeemed. I'm right. still redeemed it's the greatest today. Mir- that we say in our church, it's the greatest miracle. Yeah, the greatest miracle is is the the the, the, the brand new heart. Yeah, because you live forever. Yeah. Your spirit is alive. If God is good, then why didn't he do anything? The other question is, if if God is good, then why does he allow things, bad things to happen like sickness? And I think it's the same question and it's usually comes out of pain, right? It comes out of this place of 
potentially asking and contending, like, I've asked, I've sought, I've believed, and nothing's happening. And you're telling me God's good, and I don't see it, I don't yeah. feel it, and I don't hear it. And all, and although this answer that I would give, which is not articulated as well as I would like, and certainly not as full as it should be, nobody wants to hear this in their pain, but mm-hmm. there's a macro story going on here. There's a macro picture. There's a greater transcendent truth, right. and that is, is that God is great. God made us. We walked away in sin. Sin has affected all of us. Even the physical state that you feel right now, all of our bodies are decaying. Right. You know, Paul yeah. said this. He said, "In he said, outwardly we are decaying. Inwardly we are being renewed day, day by day. day. Yeah. So even if we're the healthiest person in the room, the fact is, is that each and every year, our internal organs, our physical body is literally decaying. Mm-hmm. Every person is going to die. Mm-hmm. And in our pain, we want to be healthy and we want to be well. And I think that our world has proved that. Look at how many products are sold and marketed just to appeal to the person that wants to basically live as healthy as possible for as long as possible. Right. I understand that. Like We believe God does heal. But if we minimize the the most important truth and we maximize our personal pain it will transcend mm-hmm. what is most important right. and so what we're trying to do in the midst of people's pain is be pastoral but we do have to go back to a greater theological truth which we believe which is drawn us to Christ mm-hmm. made us a christian is that Jesus lived the life we couldn't live he died in our place for the forgiveness of our sins and the restoration of our relationship with our Heavenly Father so that we could rise as He rose, mm-hmm. that we will be with God forever. And this truth, while it doesn't comfort the physical suffering all the time, it really is our anchor of hope mm-hmm. that when we all die and we will, that God is good and that is the revelation of his goodness. The greatest revelation of God's goodness is not found in our temporary healing. It is found in our complete and total healing, which Jesus brought about of his own good work. Yeah. The greatest I love you of God is the cross of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. And that's doesn't sell well when somebody's right. just literally not sleeping and can, and going right. through cancer oh, and yeah. chemo. It sucks, you know, right. to watch pain and that and I believe it grieves the heart of God which is what sent Jesus to the cross. Yeah. It is his love for us and it is his grief over the pain of which we brought ourselves into. It's no different than a parent watching their kid who they want good for mm-hmm. even make decisions and experience the consequences of those yeah. decisions and we might say well I didn't do anything for this sickness. That's true, but we are all part of the human story. So we may not have sinned to get the sickness that we have, but because we're human beings, men and women, and we're part of God's creation, which sort of shipwrecked into this sin abyss, Jesus is the glory of of God. He is the light of the gospel. And that's why we have to look at Jesus. And Jesus is really the answer. He's the cure. He's the answer. He's the eternal answer. And he's our anchor. He's our hope. And 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 I. That's how I answer that question in a whole um, lot longer way. Who oh, somebody yeah. asked me. But let's close with this question. I'm going to ask you, Trevor. Doesn't God give sickness to some people to bring about His purposes in their life? No. <laughs> okay. I know. No. I, Doesn't God afflict people to to prove a point or to teach you, them a lesson? Do we do that to our own children? No. 
like, hey, touch you the had stove. To, you, had, you stalled for No, I was there. waiting for you to answer. You stalled. <laughs> is Noah in the car right now? <laughs> yeah, is, yeah, is your son yeah. in the car right now after two hours <laughs> waiting for you? I don't know. Are you trying to... Tri- <laughs> but so no. I just want to... Yeah, I just wanted to show you that he stalled on that <laughs> question. <laughs> yeah, just cut it, cut it, yeah, cut it. Yeah, we shouldn't... That. No, I, I, I'm sorry for laughing at this. I'm laughing at Trevor because <laughs> I know his kids and... Uh, yeah, you know, he, you know, there's... Yeah, there's this idea that like that... God will every everything that happens in the world mm-hmm. is ordained by God. Meaning, He will He He caused it. He's the causation of everything. Mm-hmm. Since we believe in the sovereignty of God, therefore, Reformed theolo- uh, theology would carry everything that happens mm-hmm. is the will of God. Right. And I would say no. Mm-hmm. There are some things that are the will of God. Um, there are some things that are not the will of God. And then there are things that we're waiting for the will of God for. So, for example, we believe the will of God is that none should perish, but all come to life in Christ. Mm-hmm. And that's a Bible verse. It says it's the will of God for not none to perish. Do people perish? Oh, certainly. Mm. That means there is things happening that are not the will of God. Does that mean he's not overseeing everything? No, he certainly sees it. Sovereignty is much more complicated than he's in control like he's he's driving everything good and evil in the world mm-hmm. he is allowing it he sees it he has a plan to redeem it he is things going on that we can't see and we don't know right. weaving through all the crazy things that are happening in this world mm-hmm. he 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 didn't cause that mm-hmm. uh we did yeah. we we brought about sin and it's time to look at ourselves in the mirror and say oh Romans 5 one says we are enemies to God. We we are enemies to God because we perpetuated things that are anti-God, mm-hmm. anti-Christ. Mm-hmm. And we still do because we're wrestling with this flesh of ours that we do mm-hmm. things that we do not want to do, Romans chapter 7. But we, we, um, we know that God is above all, he sees all, and he's active in this world, but he's not causing everything. And we can still believe in the sovereignty of God. We're not open theists. It's, we don't believe God's turning his, his face away and not noticing bad things happening over here and in our life. He is fully aware, but the story isn't over. We can, and we know the will of God is coming where he's the last enemy to go after is death. And he's gonna go after and he's gonna bring a new world and he's gonna bring the new heavens and earth and bring it all together and culminate this beautiful culmination mm-hmm. of life where there is no suffering mm-hmm. and pain and and th- those things. So although he allows sickness, he allows pain, he allows these things to happen, he's doing that so that, um, and, and then he redeems it. He makes all things good. Romans chapter eight, verse 28, all things work together for the good of those who trust in, in the Lord. And so he's not authoring, authoring these things, but he is, he is redeeming him. And that shows to me sovereignty of God on a whole nother level, that no matter what the enemy or what sin or what our own flesh does, the mm-hmm. Lord can redeem it. Mm-hmm. He can enter into any moment and redeem it for his good. I feel like I need a thesaurus. You used a lot of really big words. <laughs> Did I? Open theism. Oh, open theism. Sorry. We have yes. Josiah behind the camera. Yes. I'm pretty sure he's wondering what that means right o- now. Open theism, theism means that God doesn't know the future. Okay. So it's just and like- you basically hey. winked at Calvinism. You did. Yeah. Determinism. Yeah, I'm not a determinism guy. By the way, what he just did right there was really good, Trevor. Oh, good. That was Amen. a good answer. Oh, 
glory to God. Oh, <laughs> but man. I was like, man, we need like a, Josiah, we yeah. need like a thesaurus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I think we also need an FAQ sheet, and I think uh, we also need a Bible index. <laughs> and then like, yeah, yeah, that'd be great, that'd be great. <laughs> um, I was thinking about theological perspectives. I've been challenged on this, what you're mm-hmm. bringing up. I mean, lots of ways, 100 ways, honestly. Um, so we're not Calvinists, which which there are different versions of Reformed theology mm-hmm, right. and Calvinism. So I don't believe God chooses some to be saved and some not to be saved, that he desires for everyone to come to saving faith in Christ. So everybody has a legitimate opportunity right. to name Jesus as Lord, be forgiven of their sin, and be in relationship with God. And there is a redemptive suffering is a doctrine that would include God being the causation of the suffering, which is very strange if you think about it. It's that God would cause suffering and then he would redeem suffering. Mm -hmm. We believe in redemptive suffering in the sense that God doesn't cause all the suffering and the sickness and the disease, but he certainly redeems Redeems it it. and he he makes, he does use things for our good. God causes all things to work together for good. Doesn't mean he authors all things, it means Mm -hmm. he causes all things to work together, all things that are. but to be a determinist is very difficult, and it's a slippery slope because then you're mm-hmm. saying theologically that like every stoplight uh, was determined by God, or every I mean, just think about every crime. Yeah, you know the cri- the amount of crime. I mean, God oh. God caused what did God cause that person in their mind to want to steal my car? I mean, you just it, it just slippery slope, right? And this is where like we really have to probably do another podcast because yes. I think of I think of theology or or the way God works. Uh, first of all, we don't fully know, but but we can use terms like there's God is control in a macro sense. Of course. Right? I mean, he has his will. Like Ephesians 1 talks about um, the summing up of all things in Christ. He is absolutely about his will. Uh, but he's not the con- he's not controlling every detail and every aspect. Mm-hmm. He's working within his foreknowledge, and that means to know beforehand. So there's a there's a theological debate mm-hmm. in various camps, and we're just not in camp A. Camp A believes that God causes all things. He's the primary mm-hmm. cause. He's the one that's making everything happen according to his will. That's a slippery slope. We believe God uh, is the pri- primary cause, but he allows a secondary cause. So we always, the- in theology, they talk about primary and secondary. Mm-hmm. For example, if God's the primary cause of free will, okay, we're the, we're the second, there's a secondary cause in that I can punch you. I wouldn't <laughs> do that. Uh, but I can cause Never. harm, I can cause harm to you. Mm-hmm because God's given me a free will. Mm-hmm. So people debate and they talk about God being the primary cause and mm-hmm. us being the secondary. But human humans have a level of responsibility clearly that God is not the author of that sin. Right. He's the giver of free will. Yeah. So there are just there's a depth of yeah. this conversation and there are times in the Old Testament where God afflicted someone there was a punishment, mm-hmm. but that's a bad. One time, a person approached me and said, "Well, there's several instances in the Bible where God gave sickness to someone." And I go, "Okay, give me a couple." And one of them was in the book of Isaiah, where God afflicted uh, an Israelite king who was oppressing his people for like years. I mean, a, a king who was oppressing an entire nation. Right. God warned this man through the prophets, "If you keep doing this, that right. I'm going to judge you." And after the warning, the man kept doing it. God judged him. I forget the pr- particular passage. Um, he did the same thing to, uh, to you noted, uh, Herod, King Herod in the book of Acts. 
um, there was a judgment on Herod. There was a judgment on Nebuchadnezzar. You notice something about every person I brought up? All of them are rulers and kings. Right. Very interesting. And and to make mm-hmm. a parallel to someone's uh, mother or father who has cancer is absolutely yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, I just, if you think about how we use the Bible, when we think, does God cause sickness? For there to be a theology that tells the average person out here that their mom, dad, brother, sister, grandma, yeah. whatever, has uh, potentially has cancer because God's trying to teach them a lesson or it's in his sovereign plan for them to experience this type of suffering is honestly, I think it's using the misusing the Bible at a level that I, I don't have words yeah. for yeah. Um, because the examples that we're using are just woefully uh, unequal. And I think, again, just to share with those that are listening and watching, God is not the author of our problems. He is the bringer of solutions. Yeah. You just have to see Jesus stepping into human yeah. history, which we've created a mess of. Yeah. And he says, I've got a plan and I'm gonna execute that plan with my own action mm-hmm. because I'm the only one capable of doing it. God is to be glorified. God is good, as you've said many times. God is the causation and the author of our creation. And he's also the the causation and the author of our recreation and our restoration. Mm -hmm. That's the story of the Bible. And we have these subjective experiences of pain and difficulty that we all go through and we are all decaying. But the fact is, is we all have to look up. Like you said, we look up, we see the beauty of Jesus and the answer to every problem, even if we don't get what we're asking for in this life, we absolutely will in the next. God heals medically, supernaturally, and for all of us, he heals eternally. But our our job is to contend for mm-hmm. the supernatural power and healing of God until the end. Yeah. I want to die in faith. No matter how that looks, I want to die in faith. I want to be I want to be in my own right, not maybe to anybody else, but a hero of the faith. Like I my kids, my wife and her and I together, we we sought God. We believed God no matter what the circumstances for us but also for others. Yeah. And so I just want to close there and and encourage you that if you're going through suffering and pain and difficulty, I want to encourage you to contend till the end, put your faith in the word of God. Just put your faith in the Word of God and leave it there. And also know this, that you're not just a candidate for healing. You and I have a call, we have a purpose, and we need to be about it. And as we go about proclaiming the kingdom of God, as we go about ministering to people, making disciples, and sharing the gospel in whatever way that God's given us to do, that we also must realize that we can contend for God's healing and His transformation in our lives. If it hasn't happened initially, it will eventually And that's our story, and we're sticking to it. And with that, I would say God bless you. Thank you for tuning in. It's probably been like 16 hours. Trevor, thank you so much for being my Amen Corner. For sure. Uh, Amen. No, just joking. Love, Trevor. Uh, But keep tuning in. Make sure you share this with your friends. And we'll see you next time on Conversations with Ben Dixon. God bless you guys. 